Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode 117 of the Reinventure Me Podcast. Well, Father's Day is coming up, and we've got the busy guy's guide to being a better dad. We're going to talk to best-selling author Jay Paylechner in this episode. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me Podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Reinventure Me podcast. I'm Larry Gates along with Armin Asadi. We are your co-hosts for exploring what's next in life, to reinvent your life, your opportunities and ventures you were made to pursue. And I think one of those ventures that many guys are made to pursue is being a dad. Darn right. So with Father's Day coming up, we want to focus on being a dad in this episode. And you're going to find the show notes at reinventure.me slash 117. Well, I mean, I've been looking forward to this episode because I realized that we missed an opportunity a few weeks ago. Yeah. The Madres. The Madres. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my wife, Anna, told me just recently that for her, Mother's Day is more important than her birthday. Absolutely. Well, you know, I didn't think about that because we really highly celebrate birthdays in our family. So I asked her, why is that? She says, well, because, you know, I didn't do anything to be born, (laughs) but I had to do a lot to be a good mom. That's such a great point. Yeah, it really is. And I thought, wow, we've got Father's Day coming up. Even though we missed Mother's Day, an opportunity to honor moms, we do have Father's Day coming up. And, you know, I think that it's time that we not only honor dads, but we also give a little bit thought of what that means to be a good dad and to tend to being a good dad. And I am very excited to be able to have on our show today, Jay Payleitner and uh, Jay and I've gotten to know each other through the national coalition of ministries to men. But this guy has written 20 books about being a dad. Yeah. Come on, Jay. I know, right? Because we had uh, had Jerry Jenkins on, and you're 165 books behind him. Yeah. Uh, But we have Jay on the program, and for years, Jay produced Josh McDowell Radio, so I think he's going to outshine us here in terms of Little Reinventure Me. So he did that, and today's father in Jesus Freaks Radio and Project Angel Tree with Chuck Colson. He's a nationally recognized speaker for the Iron Sharpens Iron conferences at Brian Doyle leads and for the National Center of Fathering. And he's the author, as I said, of more than 20 books. He asked me to write an endorsement for one of them, a bucket list book. What if God wrote your bucket list? And I I thought that was a really excellent book. And he and his sweetheart, Rita, live in the Chicago area where they've raised five kids and 10 foster babies and now have four grandkids now being a new grandfather of my own. I just can't wait to welcome you to the program, Jay. Thanks for being on board. Well, Armin and Larry, uh, what a privilege. You guys do great work. I know that. And yeah, let's let's get to it. Let's help some dads here. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for being on the program. Well, let's, let's start with you because, you know, the Reinventure Me show is really all about reinvention and, and imagining <laughs> the great next beginnings. And from 
episode one, Armin and I have said you should never stop asking the question, what does God want me to do when I grow up? And, you know, we're all still in that process of figuring out what our next great beginning is. But, you know, as we've talked, Jay, there's been a lot of reinvention in your own life. Why don't you talk about a little bit of that? Oh, absolutely. Let me confirm, gentlemen, and anybody listening, that God uses all of it. I can go back and look at the ridiculous things I did in my life. I sold, guys, I sold photocopiers out of college. I had a, got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in theater. What a worthless sheet of paper that is. <laughs> <laughs> and and, I, and I, my first job out of college was selling co- photocopies. I sold photocopies for the for the A.B. Dick. Hi, I'm the A.B. Dick man. Don't, <laughs> don't buy that Xerox or Minolta. Well, now, now I know how you got into dad stuff. <laughs> well, well, and I was terrible at it. You know, there, you, any, there are salesmen listening right now. There are guys, there are road warriors out there, and they are good at it, and I was just bad at it. It's like you, you got to find what you're good at. Then I got a job selling law books to corporate attorneys in downtown Chicago, carrying around a big old 25-pound briefcase. And that just wasn't right for me either. And then I, I did my soul searching, and my faith was growing at that point. And I realized uh, I had two little boys at home, and I started praying for a, a job in advertising. I thought, I'm, I'm a creative, and I'm a business. Where does that come together? So I reinvented myself in, in that area where I helped name Sun Chips and did some TV commercials for Corona beer. Hey, I love Corona. <laughs> uh, that's early on. And then after my family started growing some more and the long commute and the, the killer hours and uh, do, we're doing work that I thought was important that wasn't, then I ended up at a little Christian ad agency in Wheaton, Illinois, where I jumped, jumped into radio and then working with Tyndale House and with publishers. And then I reinvented myself again. I mean, I did. Like, I did it all myself. It's God's intervention. (laughs) Writing books and speaking and kind of still looking for the next big thing. What do you think the next big thing is for me, Larry? You know me. Well, I I won't answer that until you listen to all 137 episodes we've done on that. (laughs) There you go. So tell me about how that shift came for you. When did your transformation move from doing all that stuff that you were doing, being an A.B. Dick salesman, all the way to where you're now have written 20 books kind of aimed at men and families and helping guys out. What was that switch for you? How did that happen? Well, it was picking out what was really important in life. Now, my golly, any dads who are out there, you know, working their 60-hour weeks and doing stuff that, that doesn't connect back to the family... Uh, that's really okay. I, don't, I never want to beat up on guys who are, who are working hard, providing for their family, leading their family, and paying the mortgage kind of thing. I couldn't just do that. I had to do stuff that helped build family and help lead folks to Christ and help apply biblical principles to, to life. And again, I am not a pastor. I am not a theologian. I am just a beggar. I am just a beggar who found some bread. Mm-hmm helping the other men and dads and women to find bread as well. And so it worked for me. So you've been casting a lot of bread upon the waters. I mean, you've written 20 books to get dads. And being a dad isn't easy. I know I, I, I raised four kids. Oh, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, Larry. It's, it's the easiest thing in the world. Oh, okay. No, people think... <laughs> I'm just oh, doing it wrong, then. What am I doing you know, wrong? You know what? Just find the joy every moment. Find <laughs> the joy. That's one of those classic cliches. Oh, being a parent is so hard. It's hard, you know, being married is hard work. You know what? If you just approach every project as a dad and a wife and a husband with a servant's heart, what's in it for the other person? Suddenly the joy just keeps flooding back to you. Yeah. And so it, so yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, there, 
I, I get that. But let's let me push on that a little bit because I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure on guys to excel well at work. I mean, guys that are busy, right? Need a survival guide. They because there's this pressure, and you mentioned it a minute ago. You're not wanting to add guilt to guys or or make it harder for them or to put them down in any way. When I am with guys and meet with men all the time, I hear their heart for wanting to be a better dad at home, wanting to be a better husband, and also wanting to be able to do well in their career. I personally subscribe to the fact that life-work balance is a myth. That sets us up for failure. But it's really about conscientious application of how you spend your time when you're with your family, when you're at your work, and working smarter and thinking about how you invest in a way, like you said, thinking about their interests and how you lean into that. But still, the pressure is enormous, I think, for men. And well, I often think that that goes unrecognized. Yeah, I think you and I are probably on the same page. When you say the life-work balance, you can't do that. You can't say, well, am I doing the right amount of life and the right amount of work? You can't do that. And that's what I mean when I say throw yourself into it. It's who you are. It's 100%. It's the same thing with marriage. Marriage is not 50-50. That's the cliche. Right. Marriage is 50 No, it's not. Yeah. It's 100 is 100. 110. Uh, <laughs> finish this thought, Armin. When I do something for my wife, she will do... Oh, man. She will do... He's setting you up. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> something for me. Yeah. Okay. That's the point. I, um, well, I, I hope it's not, because I... I but, God, I hope she's not even no, listening to this. Is, I no, probably point, do do that, though. No, the point <laughs> is, if I do something for her, it gives me joy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the point of this and the work environment and the, with your kids. If you try to balance work and family, impossible. But if you give yourself 100% to all those, looking for the small moments, yeah, it's the, the great verse from Psalm 127. Children are a burden from the Lord. No, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. I keep coming back to that. Children are not a burden. They are a gift and a reward. Don't you see that, guys? Yeah. Absolutely. Not you guys. I'm talking to your audience. Yeah, no. Don't you see that, guys? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll withdraw, I'll withdraw my enthusiastic response. <laughs> okay. So here, here, here's my question. Yeah. In the workplace, in ministry, in mentorship, in being a mentee, in whatever these different aspects of life there is, there's always these measurables. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I can go to work and I can know what the metric is for me to be successful, right? It's not philosophical. It's not theoretical. You know how to get the grade there. Yes. School, ministry, work, you name it. I can know exactly what it takes and if I'm doing good or not, right? There's a grading process. Yep. I go home and with my wife, it's even easier because she will communicate to me. I have a one-year-old that will bite me, slap me, scratch me, and cry. She might poop and pee and laugh and giggle. But I, I don't know what my metric is. I don't know if I'm doing good or not. How do you even know? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, as your daughter turns just one, and this might sound a little gender non-sensitive, but moms are the ones that they're going to connect with those first months and even that first year of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, that's, they're just going to, moms know intuitively, moms, moms know what the babies need, and dads seem a little helpless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know what? Right about right now, at one year old, boy, the uh, tables are going to turn. And that daughter of yours is going to need more and more and more of you. And this will become really clear when you, and I'm not going to go back to the, to, the, you know, to the days when mom was home with pearls in her house dress and dad walked in the front door. Hi, sweetheart, I'm home now. But <laughs> that's an in, it's an interesting image. And here's the question. Are your 
kids, when they first see you and when they say goodbye to you in any situation, are they drawn to you or walking away from you? At the end of every conversation, Dad, with your teenager, if it's been a tough conversation on whatever topic that might be, grades or sex or drugs or rock and roll, are they, at the end of the conversation, you need to be pulling them towards you, hmm. saying, we're in this together. And that same thing with the three-year-old. Now, three-year-olds, of course, they'll make time for Dad. I think what you're saying there about the teenagers now, I mean, Armin's got, yeah, he's got a long have, way to go I before he gets to, to that. No, he doesn't. No, it'll, it'll come really quick. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, I don't right have enough now, guns yet. Right now, it's going to seem like a long way, but when you get there, it's like, where did the time go? <laughs> but, Jay, I really relate to what you're saying there about your, your teenage kids, because I think the best you can do there is to say, well, what am I doing to maintain the bridge and maintain the positive conversation? Because... They become volitional, and they get to choose how they respond to you as a parent. Yeah. You can't control that. I mean, when they're little kids, they're, like, always effusive. You know, they love to see you. And then somewhere along the line, their friends become more important, and your influence has to be reformed and reshaped. And I got to tell you that, you know, when I came back earlier saying that being a dad is hard, I think there are many phases where it's hard. I just want to mention, maybe, Jay, you've read this book from Walter Trobish. He wrote a book a long time ago. I forgot what it was called, but I'll put it a link in the show notes. But I loved what he said early on because and where you're at, I mean, in this first year, it's hard being a dad because right then at that early stage, you're so isolated. You're right. like the third wheel. I mean, you've got the baby and the baby's needs, and they're drawn to mom as the dairy queen. Right. You know? And 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 that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And and you're just kind of like off to the side. I mean, she's got all of her affection on the kid and not right. so much on you anymore. You know, yeah, I, so, I don't think I actually felt like a dad until she was about six months old. First six months. Yeah. Kind of like being a baby owner. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. Or just observing, you yeah. know, you're the th- kind of a third wheel. And so Walter Trobus talks about that. But when you get to the teen years, Jay, this is where I think now when our kids were young and they were delightful <laughs> and our kids are, have always really been delightful. We kept getting people saying, Hey, just wait till they get older. You know, they get through those teen years. Now my kids have gone through the teen years and they've been absolutely fabulous. But I have to say that it has been hard work to continually when you're, when you're in those tense moments with your kids to come back to what you said a minute ago, Jay, about leaning in and saying, all right, how can I build this up? How can I build them up and how can I make it so that it's not selfish about what my interest is, even though they frustrate the daylights out of me. You've thrown a lot of stuff out there. Let me first say that there are seasons, man. There are seasons when you're going to feel like mom is more connected. There are seasons when she's going to be jealous of you, Armin. When that little girl just lights up, when you, that little eight-year-old daughter of yours, she's going to light up when she sees you. Hmm. And she's spent for the last two hours with mom, your wife is going to be jealous of you. I promise you that. <laughs> and then someone who says, just wait until they get older. That just ticks me off as well. Oh, it's I know. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like I'm giving up. I'm yep. giving. Up. Well, it's only going to get what? worse. <laughs> and you know what? It just keeps getting better. If you keep pouring into your uh, the life of your kids and enjoying the time with them, as we said, as we both said here, leaning in, pulling them closer to you, meeting their needs, understanding their seasons. Yes, you know for sure, your three year old daughter is going to be able to sit in your lap, mm. and your seven year old daughter is going to be able to sit in your lap. But somewhere. Around 11, 12, or 13, she's going to start saying, I can't sit in Dad's lap anymore. She doesn't have a choice. 
Well, no. Oh, no, no. She does have a choice. I'm making her sit on my lap. <laughs> Good luck with that one. But, so maybe for two or three years, she won't be able to. She won't know. She, how do I hug dad? And you'll be the same way. How do I hug my da- daughter who's getting curves? Oh, my golly. But, again, that's a season. Right. And enjoy it and even laugh at it and talk about it with your wife. And that's why God made families with husbands and wives working together. You can bring your concerns to your bride and she will bring her insights to you. And you know what? Your listeners, guys, any of your dad listeners right now would better turn off this podcast and go talk to your wife about your work as a dad, your your projects as a dad, because that's that's your best resource is mm-hmm. hanging out with your wife and saying, what, how am I doing as a dad? Those kind of conversations. I think yeah. some people, uh, for some guys, that might be not only scary, but absolutely terrifying. Right. Because... You don't want to know you're failing. Well, they might be, <laughs> re- they might be reminded of it all the time. I right, mean, right, right. they might be living with someone who is constantly reminding them where they're falling down as a dad. But you do want to know. you got to lean into it. You want to know. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Here's a, another great thought for, for husbands. We're talking to dads here, but if you walk in the front door... After your work, whatever, you, you, I'm, I understand that women work and make more than uh, husbands in a lot of times. But a guy walks in the door at the end of the day and plops on the couch, and then his wife is ticked off, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if he walks in and says, hey, sweetheart, had a tough day at the office. Anything I can do for you today? Anything needs to be done around here? I had a tough day. I'm exhausted. Anything I can do? What's she going to say? Go she's relax. Gonna say, she's going to say, relax. You, you're good. I got it. And then you're off the hook. You can plop on the couch and read your newspaper. <laughs> I've never actually had that. I, I, whenever I've offered, I've always had a good answer. She's always come up with something for me to do, which is fine. Because actually, which I, is fine. Yeah, because you wanted you wanted, I wanted to do that. Right. Same, and the same thing with a hey, sweetheart. I just want to make sure I'm doing the best for our, you know, our, our kids. How am I doing? And she's not going to beat up on you if you come to her. She's not going to beat up on you. She's going to say, "Well, you know what? Tommy's missing you," mm. or. You know what? Jane's having trouble with making friends at school, whatever. Hmm. And you want to know that. Yeah. And that's uh, particularly helpful when you see your wife as your advocate, not your adversary. And when you get working on it together as a team. Yeah. Well, for hey, sure. Jay, so I'm, I'm interested. Your, one of your best-selling books, one of them was The 52 Things Kids Need from a Dad, right? Yeah, right. And we are talking about the Busy Dad Survival Guide here. So I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, as you compile that list of 52, I'm guessing one for each week of the year, were there some that really stood out that are like a surprise that you discovered that kids need from dads that that might really be helpful for those dads particularly that are busy to just say you know i want to if i can make you aware of this need your kid has you will really go well to to do it and to Uh, and to lean into it yeah absolutely one of my breakthrough moments was a conversation i had with a friend of mine we were talking about being a dad the conversation was what's the greatest moment you remember from your dad and it was literally the conversation he said was he was driving with his dad someplace on, on a country road at dusk. He doesn't even remember what it was. His dad was a busy, important guy, you know, three-piece suit, wingtips. His dad stopped the car it, on, a, on a quiet, like, dusky ro- highway. In the, in the, in the, <laughs> my friend was scared for a second. What's going on? And the, <laughs> the, 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 the dad jumps out of the car, goes into the trunk, pulls a glass jar out of the trunk, comes, knocks on the window, and pulls this, the sun out to the field to catch fireflies. Oh, cool. You poke holes in the top, you, you, throw, you throw grass in the jar. Why do we do that? Throw grass in the jar. How long were they in that field? Three minutes? Seven minutes? Hmm. And that was the memory of my friend. Mm-hmm. 
wasn't a, it wasn't a trip to Disney World. It wasn't a, a ski trip to Aspen. It was a dad being intentional about making a moment, and that's the lesson. Hmm. It, you, you know, know what? We beat ourselves up. Oh, I got to do this or uh, no? It's just the a, small things. And enter their enter their life things that they might like. So it's the small things. It's yeah. the small intentional things. Yeah, you know that's great. You, your Disneyland story reminded me of a time I took our kids when they were younger to Disneyland, and my daughter was probably seven or eight at the time. We were on the plane back from going to Disney World, not Disneyland. And I said, Stephanie, so what? What was the most memorable time? that we were together. You know, what, what was it that really stood out that was like, you're going to remember this. And she didn't hesitate for a minute. She said, Oh dad. Ah, it was that time when we stopped at that gas station and they had spider webs in the bathroom. (laughs) I said, well, I didn't need to buy a ticket to Disney world to take you to a gas station with spider webs. But it does kind of the things that kids remember, are um, ab- ab- about experiences that you share together, and they don't have to be this big, expensive thing. And that's your point, right? Other than the photos, which are valuable. A, fo- yeah. a photo of a three-year-old hugging Minnie, that's valuable. But they don't remember that. You know, save your money when they're two or three or four or five. Save your money, the local little adventure zoos, little zoo parks, the local playgrounds. And then when they're eight or nine, yeah, take them to Disney World and spend <laughs> the big bucks. That would be a, a really good insight. Yeah. And don't miss the gas stations when you do. Well, uh, the, <laughs> don't miss the gas stations, right. So what are some of the other things that you would point out the kids need from Dad? I bought a unicycle. My son, uh, Randall, is actually uh, editorial director at Moody Publishing, do, doing great work over there. i got five kids, four boys and a daughter. My son, Randall, when he was about nine, we bought him a unicycle for his birthday. Kind of fun. I'm imagining my kids riding a unicycle. What a, what a fun deal. <laughs> and any of my kids would have had the, the mental gyroscope to do that. That unicycle has never been ridden. And that's okay. Because our job as dads is to open doors for our kids. Just let them try stuff. Mm. Uh, whether it's oil painting or putting a wrestling mat in your basement or, uh, or uh, uh, putting a, a piano in your front room. Open doors for your kids, and they're going to discover things about themselves, or it'll work out in the long run. But I have no problem that there's that uh, unicycle in my garage hanging from the rafters. I bump my head on it a couple times a year <laughs> because that's our job is to open doors for our kids. Hmm. And then not, st- and not stress out. That's kind of the point. Yeah. Open the doors, and then don't stress out if they choose not to. Or I spent 80 bucks on this unicycle. How dare you not ride it? <laughs> Sorry, Dad. That's just the deal. Right. There's one thing I want to go back to is a topic that we brought up, which was the advice that I have actually gotten, which is wait until they get older. And so in my accountability group as a family therapist or psychologist, and I've been seeing a psychologist for several psychologists on and off for several years. One of the things I've realized is the vast majority of issues that people have that's a root cause happen before the age of five or six. And anytime I hear wait until they get older, I always get bothered by it because I, I sit in front of my psychologist. And I, don't, I don't have a single problem that I'm solving with them that doesn't happen before the age of six for me. And I hear that from my friend who is a psychologist as well. So for, for parents like me who have kids under the age of five, what do we do with them? You know, where like even when they're one years old and they're not talking yet and all this stuff, like how how do I know that I'm being the best father I can be for that child? This is just being present. What is it? Again, I am not a, a psychologist. I'm not a theologian. I'm just a dad. And here's what you do. 
You follow your instincts. What do you want to do? That kid is crying. You know, there are, there are still aunts and grandmas out there who say, don't pick up a crying baby. Well, that's, that's bull. You pick up a cry. If a baby's crying, it's crying for a reason. Right. And you, it's impossible to spoil a baby under one years old. You mm. pick up a baby and carry him, carry him or her around as much as you can, lots of skin-to-skin contact. I was in an orphanage with Josh McDowell in Russia, and there was a gymnasium full of babies, and there was one or two nurses in the whole place taking care of these babies, and they're going to suffer from that classic failure to thrive syndrome. It's a true thing. Mm. Now, if lack of skin contact leads to failure to thrive, then I mean lots of skin contact leads to thriving, doesn't it? And your instinct is to pick up a crying baby. Your instinct is to go hang out and play and make silly faces. Hmm. Your instinct is to pick her up and play, do airplane. Am I right? Yeah. You pick her up and you, you don't, don't throw her up in the air so it's dangerous, but you, you fly her around the living room, don't hmm. you? Oh, yeah. Please I t- throw her up, too. T- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And your instinct tells you to hang out and play and, and goof and be silly and be a dad. I love that. Uh, so, again, that's not doctors of psychology answer or the, the- theologian answer. Or maybe it is. <laughs> I love it. I think it's the most practical <laughs> advice I've ever gotten because it's, it's something that I, I can feel, I can sense, and, it, 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 and it's funny because it's not this advice that says, based on this doctor, do this procedure, and it's a, it's a laundry list to remember, but it's something simple as saying, follow your instinct. If your baby is crying, pick her up. I yeah. love that. I can actually do that. <laughs> That's doable and, for me. Well, and you know what? If, you're, if your baby's about to put a marble in her mouth, Scream from across the room and go grab it out, and she'll be scared for a second, but that she'll understand that there's there are dangers in the world. Hmm. And also here, okay, now that she's is she crawling up on on furniture and coffee tables now? Oh God, she climbs flat walls. Okay, yeah. well there you go. If you got a, if you got a toddler who's pulling themselves up on a coffee table, take all the sharp stuff off the coffee table, all the hot stuff off the coffee table, except for keep one thing in the middle of the coffee table that she can't touch. <laughs> and she, so that she knows something, a little figurine or something that okay. said, no, you can't touch that. No, I'm sorry. You can't. It's because there's boundaries. The kids get to learn boundaries. Huh. That's one of the things that, again, we, we, after five kids, you start picking this kind of stuff up. I love but, that. But, you know, let them eat dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let them eat dirt. so That's funny true. that you said that. Our biggest challenge this last weekend was trying to prevent my daughter from eating dirt out of a plant at her grandma's house. <laughs> what's, the, what's, the, what's the worst that happened? She, she builds up some antibodies to, uh, to, to dirt? Yeah. I have no they idea. Do. It just um, seemed gross. So. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you the last little thought. I, you know uh, nooks, uh, pacifiers, okay? Remember yeah. those? You got those, right? Right. Oh, okay. yeah. I got five kids. Think about that. The oldest one, the first kid, Boy, we boiled those things. If it fell on the ground, it got set aside in a, in a plastic bag and got boiled. The second one, second kid, we, we, you know, you'd rinse it under hot water. The third one, you kind of, you know, put it in your own mouth and shake it and, and just, if there's dirt on it, you just pick it off and you, the fourth, the fourth one, you pick, if it falls in the ground, you pick it up and you put it back, you know. <laughs> two minute, two minute rule. <laughs> 25 minute the, rule. The fifth one, it's like. Whatever, you know what? You just give them a, give them Here, a dirty here Here's a ballpoint pin. Stick that in your mouth. <laughs> They're all fine. They're all fine. Probably my oldest kid would have the one who had little allergies because he probably didn't, have, didn't build up enough. Now, you know, I'm getting out of my getting out of my area of expertise. I'm not a doctor. Don't, <laughs> kids, don't let your kids eat rat poison. But kids are supposed to get dirty. 
Kid, your daughter biting and scratching what you said earlier is biting and, and slapping you and grabbing your nose. She's doing what she's supposed to do. Amen. Let her do it. Amen. Oh, I do. <laughs> but yeah, I you don't know if it's the right thing or not. You know, I <laughs> mean, you know, your comment about you know how do you know if you're you're doing it right or whatever. I mean, made me think about Anna and I have both told our kids that we are not parenting you in such a way that you won't have wounds. You know, because right. we, we fully expect that you're going to probably visit a psychologist sometime <laughs> and talk sure. about the wounding that both Anna and I have given them. But, you know, we never really set ourselves up to be the perfect parent. And mm-hmm. I think there's only one perfect parent, right? I like what you're saying, Jay, about just following your instinct. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be wrong sometimes, but you're going to be more often right yeah. than you are wrong. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? For sure. I can, I can flash back to a dozen regrets right now, but you're not going to hear about them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to dwell on them. I'm moving ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm loving my kids. You know what? The five Paylightner kids and now, now four daughter-in-laws and four, four grandbabies, we laugh our butts off when we get together. We enjoy each <laughs> other's company. That might be the biggest indicator of all that I must, we must, Rita and I, and I give her so much credit, must have been doing something right because we just, we, we enjoy each other's company. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Well, Jay, we like to leave our listeners with something that might be inspiring. So what's a, what's been inspiring to you? Is there a quote or or a thought that you've had that has motivated you and, and kept you inspired? Yeah, uh, I think I started some stuff from Psalm 127 earlier, but let me go back to that. It's that steadfast warrior image, that steadfast archer. Psalm 127. Children born to a young man are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full. And what a great image that is wow. to meditate on even. As a steadfast warrior, you, you, you stand firm, you plant your feet firm, you, 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 you had a, a quiver full of arrows, so, I mean, don't stop with one. Have a few kids. Oh, yeah. You, and you pull, out, you pull out that arrow, and you sharpen it, and you make sure it's, it's nice and straight and true. Hmm. Sharpen it in its own way. Then you pick a target. Each kid is different. Hmm. And for an archer, an archer who's a dad, each kid is different, so you pick out the right target for them. You help them. You know their gifts. and You spend enough time with them that you know their gifts and talents, and you help them choose a target for that's right for them, and then you pull them close to your heart. Hmm. You pull them close to your heart, and then, Larry, you know what's the toughest part of the whole thing. You pull them close to your heart. You release it. Then you let them go. Oof. And uh, so that's a great image for you. Yeah, and you'll know sense. when you walk Ada down the aisle what that <laughs> oh, what that releasing is like. I dance with her every night, <laughs> and, and for the first time, my wife made me think about, you know, you're going to be doing this at her wedding someday. <laughs> I just instantly started crying. I'm like, no. <clears throat> well, Jay, we could go on and on, I think, talking about being a dad. It's one of the greatest honors in my life, Amen. and it's fun to see Armin lighting up as he's learning and stepping through <laughs> that as well. And, and, and Jay, you're, you're down the road from me with all your grandkids and all the experience that you've had even meeting with other dads and and writing as much as you have about it it's certainly been something that's occupied your ministry and your life uh give us a challenge now our listeners have heard us banter back and forth about what it's like to be a dad a busy dad but uh, a dad that's challenge us up though well yeah we've talked about being a dad and you know what let me challenge dads to take full advantage of their children's mother. Hmm. Now, it could be that you, we're talking to some dads who have split up from mom, and, and that's a tough situation. Then in that situation, you need to honor her, partner with her, not talk trash about her, and uh, coordinate schedules with her with, with grace and, and love. But if you are f- fortunate enough within God's plan and have kept your marriage strong, here's what you can do. Kiss your wife in the kitchen. Because hmm. kids need to see that's very secure building to, to, uh, to kids, uh, foundational. 
to see mom and dad kiss in the kitchen. They need to see that that romance can happen within the confines of a committed marriage relationship. Hmm. And you know you're doing it right if your eight year old says, "Ew." <laughs> yeah, mine, mine say, "Go get a room," and yeah, we say, "We the, we own the whole house. <laughs> we own Better room. get used to it." <laughs> the word for dads would be uh, honoring Mother's Day, which you guys blew a month bang, ago. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll, get it, you'll get it next year. I'm, I'm sure. Of that. Note and to self: so, Mother's yeah, Day you. next year. <laughs> Oh, so thank you for the for the chance. What a privilege to hang out with you guys. And- oh, yeah. It was, it was great to have you on the show, and I wish our time could go on, but unfortunately, we're going to have to sign off. So listen, Jay has given us six copies of his book, The Dad Book, and we want to give those away to you. Now, here's how you can snag a copy of this book. Simply take this episode. When it comes out, you'll find it on all the social media outlets, the LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Pinterest, and just reshare that to your network or go to our show notes at reinventure.me slash 117 and reshare that to your network. And the first six people to do that will get a copy of Jay's book, The Dad Book. And you can read that for yourself or give it away to dad for Father's Day. It'll be something that you'll enjoy. Now, all of the show notes are at reinventure.me slash 117, and that's where you're going to find links to Jay's website and to all of his books. Well, not all of his books, because he's got 20 of them there, but a few of his books. That's where you can also leave us a comment on our show notes, and we'd love to respond to that. Tell us about your dad. Tell us about some of the things that you've learned. Tell us about what you think about the show. Or give us a call at 612-314-5447. Jay, thanks again for being on our program. It's so good to see you. Thank you. Hey, so this is show 117? 117. It took you that long to invite me on, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, hey, wah, wah, wah. Again. <laughs> hey, take care. Blessings to you. Keep at it. Keep All at right. It. Well, thanks again. And this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And Jay Payleitner. Saying so long. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your host, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi.